0: This episode is a repost. The Stand is taking a break for the Christmas holiday period, and we are posting some of our favorite episodes from our back catalog. You can find more at The Stand with Have a lovely Christmas and Happy New Year.
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care.
0: And welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now we are about to witness another chapter in the terrible history of relationships between the State of Israel and its neighbours, the Palestinian people in particular. There is much talk. People have been demonstrating at the weekends around the world. It is, though, very important that we understand what the issues are and what the facts of this situation are before we have an opinion, make our minds up and make our views known. And with that in mind, it's a great pleasure to welcome to this land uh, Professor Avi Shlaim. He is an author, an Oxford historian of the Middle East. He is Emeritus Professor of International Relations at the University of Oxford and a Fellow of the British Academy. He was born in Iraq, he is Jewish, and he has written a number of books about the Middle East and the problems therein. One, Israel and Palestine, reprisals, revisions, refutations, and his most recent book is Three Worlds, a memoir of an Arab Jew, published this year. He served in the Israeli army and has never questioned the Israeli state's legitimacy. But its merciless assault on Gaza has led him to devastating conclusions. Professor Shlame, you're very welcome to the stand and we're very grateful to you. Let me ask you first where the present moment sits in this long and tragic history. The latest news we have about 10 minutes ago, and we're talking on Monday morning, is that the Rafa crossing to Egypt is closed, even though Israel had urged Palestinians to go there to escape. Nothing is getting in, nothing is getting out. How significant is this moment? How dangerous is it? And where does it belong in this long and tragic story?
2: Uh, as you say, this is a very long and tragic story, um, the Israeli-Palestinian, the Zionist-Palestinian conflict uh, is over hundred years old, and Britain is the main um, uh, Britain is largely responsible uh, for this conflict. Yes. because in uh, 1917 it issued the Balfour Declaration, which promised to support the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. Uh, In 1917, uh, the Jews were 10% of the population, the Arabs were 90%, the Jews earned only 2% of the land, yet Britain allocated um, uh, national rights to the minority and denied national rights to the overwhelming Arab majority. So this is the original scene. Yes. And today we are struggling with the consequences of the uh, British betrayal of the Palestinians. I yeah. don't have time to go over the history of the British mandate in Palestine, but I can sum it up for our listeners in one sentence. Britain stole Palestine from the Palestinians and gave it to the Zionists. Yes. This is basically why of uh, where we are, where we are.
0: Yes, and can I ask you to make the distinction for me and our listeners between Judaism and Zionism?
2: Uh, Judaism is a religion. Yes. And there are Jews everywhere in the world and they belong to different countries. They speak different languages. They have different cultures. They are united by their religion, whereas Israel is uh, a nation state. Uh, It's a member of the United Nations, uh, and uh, it's a sovereign state. And uh, this is the distinction between Judaism um, uh, and the state of Israel. Uh, And Friends of Israel and Israelis, uh, um, the Israeli government, deliberately conflate anti-Semitism with anti-Zionism. But there is a clear, clear distinction between the two. I define anti-Semitism as hatred of Jews because they are Jews, whereas anti-Zionism is criticism or opposition to uh, the specific policies of the Israeli government, especially in relation to the Palestinians. And it's possible that criticisms of Israel would be, that anti-Zionism, it can be uh, anti-Semitic. But yes. only if you can prove that the motive of the critic is hatred of Jews. Yes. But most criticisms of Israel, most of the cri- um, criticisms that um, of, of Israel are nothing to do with anti-Semitism or hatred of Jews. No. They are to do with um, the brutal Israeli occupation and the brutal treatment of the Palestinians. But as I said, Israel and its friends try to conflate the two yes. in order to silence legitimate criticisms of Israel.
0: Yes, and the State of Israel was formally set up in nineteen forty eight? Yes. And immediately there was there was trouble between Arab and Israel.
2: Yes. The the UN voted for the partition of Palestine into two states in nineteen forty seven, a Jewish state and an Arab state. Yes. The Jewish agency accepted the partition plan. And uh, the Arabs rejected it. The Palestinians, the neighboring Arab states, and the Arab League all rejected partition as immoral, uh, unfair, and they went to war to nullify uh, partition. Now, partition was a UN resolution to divide mandatory Palestine into two states. But it was totally unfair to the Palestinians because it was their land. They were the majority. And yet the Jews were to, were a minority, were to, to receive 55% of um, the territory. Uh, th- this partition plan was never going to work. It's the British who uh, brought it about by surrendering the mandate to the United Nations, uh, just as they did with Ireland. Yes. They divided Ireland and left, yes. and the result has been trouble between the two communities. The same happened in India in 1947. Yes. The same happened in Palestine. So the Palestinians had justice on their side, and um, there was a war. They went to war. Israel won that war uh, and extended its borders beyond the UN partition resolution yes. from uh, 55% of mandatory Palestine to 78% of man- mandatory Palestine. But the Arabs did not accept the state of Israel as legitimate. They, only, they always saw it as an extension of um, uh, European colonialism uh, and Western yes. imperialism into the Middle East, as a foreign body in the heartland of the Middle East. That's what the conflict between Israel and the Arab has been and uh, the Arabs has been uh, about. But the core of the conflict has always been a clash between two national movements, uh, the Jewish national movement or Zionism and the Palestinians. That's the heart of the core of the conflict, and this is what the events, the terrible events that we're witnessing unfolding today, They are the result of this basic clash between Israel and the Palestinians.
0: I want to, in a moment, ask you about Netanyahu and what might be called Netanyahuism in the extensions and all of that. But let me ask you first, you served Israel as a soldier. Yes. You believe the establishment of Israel is totally legitimate
3: uh,
0: as a home for Jewish people.
3: Yeah.
0: So that's where you are coming from. How different from you? Uh, when I was a younger man, I remember in the United States, for example, many Jews who spoke out against the expansion of the Israeli state, the militancy, the increasing militancy of the Israeli state. And Netanyahu and the Expansion of Israel, the West Bank, the squeezing of Gaza, all of that. Now, you, I think, have described that as a Zionist colonial project. And we've established that Zionism isn't a religion, it's political.
2: Um, I served in the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, um, between 1964 and 1966. Everything changed with the June 1967 war, uh, sometimes called the Six-Day War. In the course of that war, Israel trebled its territory. It captured the Golan Heights from Syria, the West Bank, including the old city of Jerusalem from Jordan, and the Sinai Peninsula from uh, Egypt. And after the war... There was UN Resolution 242, which offered Israel land for peace, to trade land for peace. Israel was more interested in land than in peace, so the conflict uh, persisted. And I served loyally and proudly in the IDF in the mid-60s, because in my time, uh, uh, the IDF was true to its name. It was the Israel defense forces yes but everything changed after the victory uh, in 1967 uh, Israel became a colonial power and uh, the IDF became the brutal police force of a brutal colonial power so I make a still make a clear distinction between pre-1967 Israel, uh, which had internationally recognized borders, uh, having signed in 1949 armistice agreements between all its neighbors. So I distinguish between um, pre-1967 Israel, and I've never questioned its legitimacy. But I totally question, I not just question I totally and angrily reject the Zionist colonial project beyond the Green Line, beyond the 1967 borders, uh, that is to say, the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian uh, territories.
0: Yes. The expansion of Israel and the creation of Gaza, which has been described as the largest open-air prison in the world, with two million citizens, and as I think you've written, the deliberate attempt to deny them skills, education, uh, and to keep them in labouring jobs. This was a Zionist project, clearly. Does that extend back to prime ministers like Golda Meir and others who were in power Before Netanyahu?
2: Yes, most definitely, because Israel had a labor-led government for the first three decades of uh, its existence. Uh, And there was a labor government during the June 1967 war, and it was the labor government that began the colonial project That began to build settlements immediately after the gun fell silence in June 1967. So yes, the policy of building settlements in occupied Palestinian territories began long before the Likud came to power in 1977. But uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has pushed Israeli policy way, way beyond what it had been under Labour. Yes. Labour, in 1993, under the leadership of Yitzhak Rabin, signed the Oslo Peace Accord with the PLO, with the Palestinians. And this was a historic move. Uh, The two... Mutual rejection was replaced by mutual recognition. But Rabin was assassinated yes. and the Rikud came back to power under the leadership of Benjamin Netanyahu. This, and Benjamin Netanyahu had his first term as prime minister between 1996 and 1999. And he always rejected the Oslo Accord and he spent his first term in office in a successful attempt to arrest and subvert the Oslo peace accords and re-establish Israeli control over the West Bank. And whereas Labour built settlements only in areas that were strategically important and that they wanted to keep permanently, under Netanyahu uh, there's been settlement expansion everywhere to make uh, Israeli withdrawal from the West Bank impossible. And today Netanyahu claims that only Jews have rights over the West Bank or Judea and Samaria, as the yes. Israeli right like to call the West Bank. They de- now uh, Netanyahu officially denies that the Palestinians have any right, um, national service, self-determination in the West Bank or Gaza.
0: Do we know who assassinated Rabin, and is it clear that it was because of his political position and his signature on the Oslo Accords?
2: The assassination of Yitzhak Rabin was a Jewish fanatic who was opposed to the peace process. He was opposed to the handing over of territory to the Palestinians because he believed that the whole of the West Bank belonged to the Jewish people by divine right. And this was a political assassination which was completely successful. The aim was to derail the peace process and the result was uh, a very, very tragic um, not just assassination of Itzhak Rabin, but also it was the derailing of the peace process that he had
0: begun. Yes, the uh, the assassination of an idea, essentially. Yes. The immigration from Russia, from elsewhere, to the state of Israel, largely, am I right in believing, under Netanyahu's period in office, which goes back now, as you said, to the mid-90s, Was that part of the Zionist colonial project and expansion, and also an assault on any hope of a Palestinian state, a two-state solution, which has been offered? I mean, Bill Clinton almost got such a thing over the line, did he not, or did he, in your view? Uh,
2: Let's begin with uh, Russian Jews. So, Um, One aim of Zionism from the beginning was the ingathering of the exiles, bringing as many Jews as possible from the four corners of the earth. And after the the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, there was a possibility to bring Russian Jews to Israel, and roughly a million Russian Jews came to Israel, and they tended to be very right wing. Yes. Uh, those, uh, many of them became settlers on the West Bank. And they came from the old Soviet Union with huge spaces. They go to the West Bank and there isn't room to swing a cat. Yes. So it didn't make sense yes. for them to be uh, giving back territory to uh, Palestinians. And they had their own political party, which is uh, right wing. So th- they have influenced.
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: In your view, Professor Schleim, is what has happened post the assassination of Rabin and his idea, is it reversible through democratic means or is it destined to? to oppress the Palestinian people and Arabs forever with the support of the United Kingdom and the United States and France as well. Just to mention three of the powers that have recently lit up their prominent buildings, Downing Street, White House and the Eiffel Tower with the Israeli flag after the atrocity committed by Hamas last saturday uh,
2: i like to think the trend in israeli policy towards fascism and the accompanying escalation of settler violence against the palestinians on the west bank and the provocations of the present government in around al-aqsa mosque in jerusalem that i can i'd like to think But these are features of the present government rather than inherent and inevitable and inescapable. Because Netanyahu became prime minister at the end of last year and he formed a government which is the most right-wing, the most chauvinistic, the most overtly racist, and the most aggressive anti-Palestinian government in Israel's history. And he brought uh, his his government, he's not center-right, it's right and ultra-right, yes. plus religious nationalists. And it is this government that is responsible for encouraging the settlers on the West Bank to engage in violence against um, the Palestinians. And Netanyahu himself prides himself on being Mr. Security. Yes. And he prides himself on, on Israel being a really strong military power. And he's he's been saying that the Palestinians are finished, that yes. uh, they can't do anything, that they're impotent, that in Israel, on the West Bank, Israel can walk all over them and there is nothing that they can do. Yes, And as for Gaza, his policy was one of containment, letting Hamas, stay in power and govern Gaza, but uh, keeping Gaza contained yes. uh, with a blockade that has been going on for 16 years, Yes. Um, a brutal blockade, which is a breach of international law. It's a form of collective punishment. So, this policy was to weaken the Palestinian authority which governs the West Bank from Ramallah, to weaken Hamas, but to keep 2.3 million residents of Gaza in the open-air prison. Yes. This policy, this conception, has now totally collapsed. It collapsed on Saturday, the 7th of October, when the inmates broke out of the prison yes. and attacked Israel. This was a game-changer. In the past, there have been clashes between Israel and Hamas, but they all, were all inside Gaza. Yes. This time, the Hamas fighters broke through the barrier and attacked Israeli kibbutzim and settlements around Gaza and exacted a terrible toll on the civilians. So, the Hamas, the, their message was, we are not finished. Yes, we can't be ignored, and we—they've taken back agency. And Hamas is the leader of the Palestinian resistance. The Palestinian Authority in Ramallah is a collaborationist regime which lacks yes. the in its own eyes. So the only—the only leader of real resistance to the occupation is Hamas. And in their terms, the attack on Israel. Uh, was a success because they uh, showed Israel that they cannot go on occupying, blockading, and oppressing the Palestinians, both in the West Bank and in um, Gaza, and not pay a price. And the Israeli public has woken up to the fact that Netanyahu has led them to a dead end and that he is responsible uh, for what has been happening. And there was there was a, a an editorial in Haaretz, a liberal yes. uh, Israeli newspaper, an editorial which blamed Netanyahu for the present crisis.
0: We have had our own experience in Ireland, uh, Professor Schleim, of imperialism and brutality, and for example, the great famine, in which people died and many left and we never recovered really from that. It was imposed by the British. So we understand oppression and suffering. And terrorism was a consequence with the IRA. And in the end, it can be argued that it paid off. I was opposed to that terrorism, but it can be argued that it produced results. Let me ask you about your own feeling. Uh, The BBC, and I know the media and ignorance in the media and susceptibility to the media's stupid sloganizing is a problem for mass understanding of this. This is why we're talking to you and trying to find out the facts. The BBC called Hamas Palestinian militants. They were attacked for that. My own personal view was that this was their behavior was a terrorist act, but I bow to your knowledge and your sensibility because it seems to me you're saying that they showed spirit resistance to tyranny and that there are consequences for bad actions and therefore they offered hope. Is that? essentially what you're saying? Uh,
2: not exactly. Um, the attack on the Black Saturday was a terrorist action. Yes. Because it was directed against civilians. Yes. And killing civilians is wrong, period. Yes. So I condemn the attack on Israelis, innocent Israeli civilians, uh, but and this is what the media doesn't do. It is, I want to look at the context. Yes. Because the attack yes. didn't happen out of thin air. Yes. It's, it's a response to the most prolonged and brutal military occupation of military times. Yes. It's, the occupation has been going on for 56 years. In 2005, Israel unilaterally withdrew from Gaza. But that was not a step towards comprehensive peace. It was a unilateral move um, yes. by Israel. And after that, after withdrawing the settlers from Gaza, Israel was able to attack Gaza from the air indiscriminately. Yes. Uh, it became the killing grounds for Palestinians who have nowhere to escape. Yes. Um, and um, so uh, we have to look at the context and the context is brutal Israeli occupation, which in itself is illegal. Yes, it is. The occupation is illegal and unlawful. All the settlements uh, are illegal without exception. The annexation of Jerusalem by Israel is illegal. So you could say that Israel received a taste of its own medicine. Yes. Because this is the situation in which the palestinians live, live daily the yes. occupation is daily violence against the occupation and it's quite unrealistic to think that you can treat people so badly so viciously in such an arbitrary manner in such an inhumane manner yes and you expe- and expect them to be good neighbors
0: yes indeed and i think everybody listening to you will feel acutely The suffering that you describe. Uh, Professor, when you look forward to the near future, this is the next weeks and months, but further forward with the support, this what might be described as a thuggish Zionist government with a thuggish Zionist leader and an ever expanding support and population could last forever. Do you look forward with any hope? I, I say what I said because they have the full and in the words of Rishi Sunak unqualified support from the United Kingdom. Joe Biden although Anthony Blinken the Secretary of State is there trying to restrain them. Biden also offers his full support and said on television the other night I have known Bibi. For 40 years, as if he was his best friend. With the support of the great world powers, Professor Schleim, can Israel, as it were, get away with this forever?
2: Uh, Israel has been getting away literally with murder precisely because of the blind support it receives from the Western powers. Yes. Joe Biden has not just announced full support for Israel, but has given Israel a free pass to go invade Gaza and do whatever it likes. Uh, Rishi Sunak made a statement of full support for Israel, and he didn't even mention Gaza. Yes, You couldn't be more one-sided than that. Uh, And the trouble with American support because America is a crucial outside power. Yes. The trouble with American support for Israel is that it is unconditional. America gives Israel money, arms, and diplomatic protection. Yes. Uh, but it's unconditional. So yes. Israel doesn't have to pay any price for violating daily Palestinian human rights and international law. And uh, the position of the British uh, government is that. Israel should not be held to account, because there is an investigation by the International Criminal Court of war crimes, uh, and Britain, the British government is opposed to investigating Israel for war crimes. So that is part of the problem that Israel doesn't have to behave itself. It doesn't have to respect international law. And there is there is a real disconnect between Western governments and the public. Ireland is not a good example of this, because in Ireland, both the public and the government are pro-Palestinian. But in Britain, in America, and in in Germany, in most Western countries, the government is pro-Israeli and very, very lenient with Israeli. We never talk about sanctions against Uh, Israel, but the publics are increasingly vocal in their support for uh, the Palestinians. And we see this in the growing number of Palestine solidarity campaign branches everywhere. And we saw this yesterday in the massive demonstration in London in support of the Palestinians.
0: A final question and thought to you, Professor Shlame, and we're deeply grateful to you for your time. Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission, gave her unqualified support and went to Israel to do it. And many of us in the European Union and many people in Brussels are reproaching her for that. She did it on her own without any authority. That's not good in terms of the European Mood, as you've described it and as as we know it. Can I ask you finally to comment on that, but also how dangerous this could be as we watch each hour this terrible tragedy unfolding further?
2: Uh, Ursula von der line is totally one-sided in her support for Israel, and she had made statements in the past about Israel making the desert bloom, uh, oh congratulating Israel on its birthday and on its achievements. And um, when European Union has uh, a different policy, one of support for a two-state solution, and uh, the important thing about European Union is that it's the main donor to the Palestinian yes. Authority, and it's the main trading partner of Israel. So it has economic leverage. Yes, it could influence Israeli uh, policy, but it has never translated its economic leverage, its economic uh, power, into political leverage. So European Union has been useless at defending the Palestinians against. Israeli encroachment and Israeli depredations. Yes, Uh, And the situation is very dangerous because the same disconnect between governments and public that I talked about a minute ago in the West exists in the Arab world. Yes. Four Arab governments signed the so-called Abraham Accords with Israel and Egypt and Jordan, long ago, signed peace agreements uh, with Israel. But the Arab public, the street, are overwhelmingly pro-Palestinian and very angry about Israel's treatment uh, of the Palestinians. Uh, They've never been angrier. The Arab street has never been more angry, more incandescent with rage than it is now when they're watching the Israeli bombardment of Gaza and the most brutal uh, aerial uh, attacks and especially the brutal uh, attacks on civilians.
0: And the power, uh, electricity and water cut off from hospitals where children are dying.
2: Yes. Um, So um, uh, feelings are running high throughout the Arab world and uh, Iran has remained in the background. It has not intervened. But Iran leads an axis of resistance to Israel, which includes Hamas in Gaza and Hezbollah in Lebanon. And Iran is capable of activating a second front, a northern front against Israel uh, through uh, Hezbollah. And this is why Anthony Blinken is doing a tour of the Middle East and Arab countries to try and prevent uh, the spread of the violence to the region. Uh, but he may not be able to. Yes. Uh, because the status quo is not sustainable. Yes. Uh, this this is precisely the lesson of the current crisis, the current the last attack on Israel that the status quo is unsustainable. The Palestinians can't go on living like that. And America, and its uncritical support for Israel, is part of the problem. It's not part of the solution. Uh, And some right-wing people, especially in Israel, but also in America, say the Palestinian issue uh, is dead. The Palestinians are defeated. There are other issues in the Middle East that are more important. We can just forget about the Palestinians. Now we know that this is not so. Yes. That The central issue, the central problem in the whole of the Middle East is Israel-Palestine. And this is the one issue that could blow up the whole region.
0: Professor Avishleim, we... I'm uh, very grateful to you. Professor Schleim is an Oxford historian in, on the modern Middle East. He is Emeritus Professor of International Relations at the University of Oxford and a Fellow of the British Academy. He is also the author of his recent memoir. It's called Three Worlds, Memoir of an Arab Jew, and it's published this year. Uh, Professor Schleim served in the Israeli army and has never questioned the Israeli state's legitimacy. We're very grateful to you. Our hearts. Thank
2: you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thank you very much. And uh, please, God, we'll get the chance to talk again as this progresses, but maybe in a happier time when justice is served. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. That's all we have time for now. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you soon.